From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While the Florida-Kentucky series was a one-sided affair for three decades, the Wildcats have turned into a rival on the gridiron in recent years, with last weekend's win their third in the last five meetings. Now the Gators are looking to regroup against an in-state foe that hopes to be a rival in the form of USF. On today's show, we'll convene our roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, to talk takeaways from Kentucky, Anthony Richardson's trajectory, how the team is responding to early adversity, the strength of the defensive line, expectations against the Bulls, and awkward athlete homecomings in the PAT. Then, offensive lineman Richard Garage joins us to discuss his Haitian heritage, the impact of having two offensive line coaches, and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome back into our roundtable, joined by Gators Scott, Gators Chris, and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly. Uh, guys, one of the reasons that I think we all love college football so much is the unpredictability of it. And that, that comes in two ways. So there's the, the good kind, which is the euphoria that can be felt when things go unexpectedly in a positive way, like they did against Utah in the opener. But then there's there's the, the disappointment that can come when you don't perform the way people are then expecting you to, which is what we saw against Kentucky. Um, so I, I guess to start... From, from where you guys sat, where do you think things went wrong against Kentucky? And, and what are some of the areas where you know, Florida has the most obvious improvements they need to make? I mean, a lot, a lot went wrong, obviously. Adam, uh, I think everybody's going to look at, you know, Anthony Richards. I mean, that's the obvious. He just, we saw a player who in the opener against Utah, uh, you know, <laughs> we were talking about Heisman Trophy, maybe getting his yeah. name in there. And then he just had a, Hey, one of those games that young quarterbacks are going to have, uh, I think uh, he said it himself. You know, he had some struggles early in the game, missed a couple of throws, his, uh, shot his confidence. And you could tell his body language just wasn't quite what we've seen it uh, as that game progressed. And, uh, you know, at the time, you didn't know exactly what was going on, but Anthony really took accountability in his post-game press conference. So let's just start with the obvious. I mean, you know, he went from playing great against Utah to not so great, what, 14 to 35, 143 yards, and the interceptions, you know, killed the Gators at some critical times. So uh, that's the biggest takeaway I have. I think that's the biggest takeaway most of us have. But there are some other areas that, you know, they'll, they'll have to clean up. Billy Napier, his message this week has been basically – uh, he wants these guys to be consumed by improvement. And that's just not Anthony Richardson. Uh, he, he thought they had some areas that they could clean up across the board. 
Uh, but first and foremost, and we've talked about this on the show, guys, and they'll, they'll, you, Chris and Sean can talk more about it, but we kind of know that this is a team that's probably going to live and die by Anthony Richardson to some degree uh, until there's more experience and more proven players on it. And we saw that uh, against Kentucky play out in the way that obviously uh, Billy Napier uh, doesn't want to see. Yeah, and I think we mentioned last year that the more trust Anthony Richardson showed – or warrants the the more things the the Florida offense will open up um and and, and last week I was obviously obviously that's a step backward um with what happened there and um starts with his confidence but it, it also starts with with execution and what have you and there was one play in the first half and Sean will probably remember this uh, uh there was a crossing route uh some kind of slant route I think to Ricky Pearsall the ball looked like it was it was just so it was just a, a bad throw. I mean, if Pier, if he hits Pierce on stride, I want to say it's a 50 yard gain because he catches it in stride and, and he's heading through that seam and what have you. But it but like to Scott's point, it was it was just off from the very beginning. And you know, now you got to step back and say, okay, you know, what what will they allow Anthony Richards to try to do? Because he started now two SEC games. And in those two SEC games, and granted, one was against a a, a, a Georgia defense. That was generational with five first round draft picks, but you only have the sample size you have. And in two SEC starts, he's at 47%, 224 yards, um, no touchdowns, four interceptions, and five turnovers. So and two um, two pick sixes that were almost right. identical and just backbreaking right. pick sixes. That's right. That's right. So I mean, I mean, so and and <laughs> I'm not, we're not we're not piling on him here. I mean, he he knows this stuff. And 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 again, to Scott's point, uh, you know, body language wasn't very good. So all this stuff comes with the quarterback package. And when you don't play well, you know, you got to next play it. Uh, uh, you know, and, and he didn't do a very good job with that the other day. I, he knows that. I loved how he took ownership after the, after the game. Um, you know, they asked him about the interception. He goes, I threw it right to the dude. And, and he goes, you know, I, I, I just can't do that anymore. And he apologized to all his defensive mates because I'm sure we'll get to this. Defense played fantastic. Uh, uh, I mean, there were mistakes or what have you, but – compared to what they were the week before against Utah, there were some splash plays out there that we did not see. So um, USF is not going to propose the kind of challenge uh, 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 that either Utah or Kentucky did. We saw what he did to USF last year. He destroyed them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it again this year, but I don't think that's, or excuse me, this week, I don't think that's going to be much of a marker for him, but it will help uh, assuming he can play well, help with his confidence, and he really does need to play well in this game. I will concur on all the just criticism of Anthony Richardson's play um, because it was right there for everyone to see. The, the one caveat I will throw in about this this start, because that's really where we are. We're still in the blocks here to whatever Anthony Richardson can be, is that his three starts are all against ranked teams, and two of those are, are against two of the probably above-average defensive minds in college football, Kirby Smart and Mark Stoops. So there's two of the guys that are scheming against him in his first three starts. Um, and, and look, I know we always go after the quarterback. And, and again, there's some very, very easy points here with regard to Anthony, but I've yet to see a Gator receiver get great separation mm. or beat a guy after he makes a catch for a big chunk of yak yards, um, you know, at the end of a play. So I think there's some help needed there. Um, I thought at times maybe they could have loosened things up a little bit with more of the run game. It's something you did very well against Utah. 
if you look at yards per carry, it's strong here in most cases against Kentucky too. So, but look, the bottom line is this, Anthony can't throw 14 for 35. And if we, if we're going to take turnovers all together, it's one to four. Kentucky turns it over one time. You throw two interceptions that result in 14 direct points. And then if you throw in turnover on downs, that's four turnovers right there for Florida. I don't care what level you're at. You're probably not winning a football game if your four turnovers are against their one. And so, you know, those would be the things that I would, I guess, try and boil it down to as far as, as you asked, um, you know, what are, the, what are the needs for improvement here or what has to change for this team to be successful in these situations? It's interesting. You get a couple games in and you ask the question of, of identity. And, and as you noted, Sean, it may be still too early to determine what that is. Um, but when you have two performances that they're so different, I guess you come out wondering, well, okay, well, where are we now? What are we supposed to expect? So I guess based on what you guys have heard and again, seeing the reaction from players, from Billy Napier and staff, where do you think that they believe they are right now in terms of what this season can be? Well, I think Chris just touched on a little bit with regard to the way the defense is playing and the improvement that we saw in that unit from week one to week two. So if I'm looking for this team's identity or maybe what they're made of, that's probably where I want to start looking is that, that defense. And I think the other thing is, and Scott touched upon this with regard to Anthony's reaction to how it went and what needs to happen next in that I do really get the sense that this is a group that really wants to be accountable to each other um, and wants to play for respect that certainly was lost in, in the last campaign. So if, if, if that's this team's identity, they're going to be okay. And I, and I think just watching the early portion of this week, hearing Coach Napier talk, uh, some of the reactions from the guys who have not only spoken this week but post-game on Saturday, that's where I would lean as far as where this team's identity is. So if that's the case, I like the concept or the idea that they're going to get some things fixed execution-wise and whatnot. And, you, and, and, again, you hope that health favors the Gators here. Um, you know, there is some injury stuff kind of starting to percolate, but um, if they can stay healthy and have that kind of a, an identity, they're, they're going to be okay. Yeah, this is when the culture that we've taught, we've heard about, we've heard Coach Napier talk about, we've heard the players talk about. This is these are moments when that culture, when it's really changed, starts to show. And I saw enough of it uh, with some things, you know, after the game Saturday that told me, yeah, it does feel a little different here. That these guys, you know, it didn't go the way they wanted, obviously against Kentucky, but I thought they kind of presented the right message afterward. You could tell, I mean, they were as disappointed more than anybody else, but you could tell that, you know, Napier's influence over them in the last nine months, it was there for the close observers to notice, you know, we'll see what that means long-term on the field. But I I do think, you know, they've been told that, Hey, they're going to be setbacks along the way. And it's how you respond. And if you uh, watch Coach Napier's press conference on Monday, it was almost like he pulled out a few different quotes along the way about character and about motivation and things that he was going deep into his playbook on the, the tone that he wanted to establish this week 
as they go against UC, USF to try to, you know, correct some things. And um, it was just interesting to, to see his approach there and to hear a couple of the players talk about it. And, you know, they they do want to turn the page and it's, a, it's an important game. I think you just want to move on from a, a difficult night and the, and see what kind of success they can still have because they've still got a lot to play for, obviously. Uh, but this is when, as I said, I think you get to kind of see the culture shift, what it looks like, you know. Chris, you mentioned the defense earlier and, and the way that they played it, specifically the, the defensive front. I think we've seen that now, especially the first half against Utah. They were outstanding. They wore down in the second. Similar story here with some of that wear showing later in the game. Uh, but I would say for the first two and a half, maybe even you could say three quarters, they were they were pretty dominant up front and, and showed an ability to really put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Gervon Dexter probably made the best catch of the entire game for anybody on that team. So they They've shown uh, they've shown some ability to disrupt, and then of course there's the the attention that uh, Desmond Watson draws, and and I guess that probably helps too because people are so busy trying to figure out what to do with this 415 pounder uh, that other guys can have success as well. Well, that yeah, that needs to replicate itself, obviously, because uh, uh, we didn't we didn't see that the week before, and you know Utah is Utah is a better offensive team than Kentucky is. That's just that's that's just obvious, mm-hmm. and Kentucky is a better defensive team. Than, uh, than 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 Utah was. So uh, those those strengths are out there to see. But um, what I saw from 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 Brenton Cox and Jervon Dexter and some of those other guys, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say a mentality, but just just they were more active. And they and they're going to have to because we don't know what's going on with Ventro Miller. Uh, mm-hmm. He was hurt early in that game and left the game. And you, you know you, you hope he's going to be out there because. Gosh, it's just unfortunate for him being in, in the sixth year and having ready being ready for 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 such a big season to, to have, to have something happen to him, lower body injury. Uh, we're no, no more about it later in the week, but um, uh, your best players have to have to be your best players. And uh, those guys are five-star uh, prospects. They played like it the other day. Um, they have to show up more often and more consistently. And, you know, hopefully you see it against, uh, against USF and you build on that. In terms of a feel good game, what can Florida really learn from playing USF? Because I think the one everyone's going to be looking at is the following week in Knoxville against the Tennessee team that, you know, early on looks pretty good. Um, so what are, what are things that Florida can do against USF that can actually help them beyond this weekend? Because that's the, the concern you have a lot of times with the, uh, you know, the quote unquote paycheck type games, unless you're Nebraska, in which case you're writing a check that you're not getting better from. Um, is, is it can sometimes give you a false sense of self, but what are some things Florida can do against USF that will help them build going into the tougher part of their schedule? Play clean, play clean and execute. And that, and those are two things that need to be there regardless of the quality of your opponent. And again, this is no layup here with USF, but this is, this is the opportunity to get right. You know, it's one of those classic get right games it actually comes at a great time. I think that any of us, if we were being honest, a month or two ago, and, and we saw that Florida would be one and one after those right. first two games on the schedule, I think we'd all be dancing in the streets. It's just that you have a kind of a clunker against Kentucky. You had a chance to go two and zero, oh, and obviously, you know, if we were going to pick wins here, you'd want the SEC win. But now, now you have this get right game in order to get yourself back in a position to compete in Knoxville, you know, a week from Saturday. So. I think for the Gators, the, the two most important things, again, play clean, and that means 
penalty free if possible, uh, and then also to uh, to execute in a way that you've yet to do. We've seen flashes of it both sides, um, but we haven't seen four complete quarters from either offense, defense, and certainly not special teams as of yet. Yeah, I mean, I'll piggyback off Sean right there. I think a complete game uh, would be a, a great place to start because I think when you thinking about going up to Knoxville and uh, playing the balls, it looks like a much improved team. That's going to be a difficult challenge. I think Florida could use a, a really fine tune-up uh, before that game, but USF's not going to roll over, so they're going to have to play well. And um, and then we'll, you know, I'm going to state the obvious again. Anthony Richardson, I think, needs to play well. I think he needs to regain uh, some confidence. Uh, I think uh, that's what Billy Napier wants to see, certainly, uh, because he, whatever they do, you know, Anthony's going to be a big part of it. And to go up in Tennessee – his, you know, his first true SEC road start. Uh, so it's going to be a new experience for him. So you want Anthony to go up there feeling good about himself and feeling good about the team. And and I think it's just important for him to play a clean game and and just uh, put some of the, the Kentucky loss, uh, you know, in the memory bank and forget about it. 100% on both what they said. I mean, if – uh, no, USF's not going to roll over. But even if they don't, let's say Florida were to beat them fifty-two to seven, it doesn't it doesn't help unless Anthony Richardson has a good game and walks out feeling feeling a whole lot better about himself. We've said from the very beginning, and 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 Sean and I did the very first Gator talk together, and and we said then this team is about what goes on with Anthony Richardson. Um, uh, I actually heard like Gator some some people calling into to radio shows saying. Uh, how's how's that backup uh, quarterback looking? Is he is he get, is Jack Miller he- healthy yet? I mean, stop, stop, please, just stop, just stop with this stuff. This uh, it's 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 going to be about it's going to be about AR, and this week needs to be a, about a, a a better game and a more confident Anthony Richardson heading to Knoxville the next week. Um, and uh, whatever if it's a blowout score, it has to include in the box score in the crunching those numbers some 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 good plays. Uh, clean plays to, to 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 Sean's point, few turnovers, uh, and Anthony Richardson getting on the plane, feeling much better about how he played than the week before. Early on in a, an administration, a new coaching staff, you can learn a lot based on the way that, that they respond to things. Um, I don't think it's really been a surprise because of his general demeanor, but you know, Billy Napier, he doesn't seem to get too high or low. He doesn't really pop off a lot. Maybe he does privately, but we don't see that certainly on the sidelines like we have with other coaches in the past. Uh, I'm curious, what have you guys learned about Billy Napier and his approach through the aftermath of a, a disappointing game and, and his first letdown as a, as the coach of the Gators? For me, it was really just everything I expected. I mean, you've seen enough of Billy now in the public eye at Florida. You know, he's, he's under a lot more, a bigger spotlight here. I mean, he's obviously been in the spotlight for more than a decade now, uh, but he's in the biggest spotlight as, of his career at Florida. But he's the same guy. I mean, you know, if you read that story I wrote last week about him from his hometown, I mean, this is the same Billy they all know. And he's he's one of those classic guys that even though he's risen up through his profession and kind of became, uh, you know, this coach at a big time program, Billy Napier, when he goes back there, he's the same guy that they see on TV here 
And I think his calm demeanor after the loss, you know, I mean, he didn't come in there. He didn't look panicked. He didn't, he didn't throw anything. He didn't hit the podium. He didn't curse or anything like that. He was almost exactly the way I kind of envisioned. And I, I remember talking to somebody last week. I said, well, here's what I know about the Florida Kentucky game. If they win by 20 or if they lose by 20, you're probably not going to know a lot about Billy Napier's demeanor. And I think we saw that. So, uh, and then this week we've seen him kind of really hunker down and use his, I guess, messaging or everything he's been trying to build for the last nine months, reinforcing that to his team. Because, again, he knew there was going to be some bumps in the road. And sure enough, they hit one against Kentucky. Moving on to our PAT, I was inspired this week by what I saw on Monday Night Football, which, by the way, it just threw my whole my whole body clock was disrupted because if I'm watching a football game being called by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, my mind tells me that it's Sunday afternoon, but it was Monday night. That was weird seeing those guys call Monday night football for starters. Um, But obviously there was a lot of built-in drama with Russell Wilson, now the uh, very well-paid quarterback of the Denver Broncos, playing his first game away from Seattle in Seattle against the Seahawks. And I was kind of surprised. He was pretty loudly booed when he came out, which is kind of a weird way to uh, to welcome someone who won you a Super Bowl and you basically led your franchise through its, its greatest time. Um, but it got me thinking about awkward returns. And these happen all over sports. I'm sure there's plenty that you guys have witnessed in person or teams you've covered or even as a fan. So I'm curious when you think back uh, some of the more awkward reunions of sorts you've seen between players and uh, their old teams and, more importantly, their old fan bases. I, I will say this. Sometimes it, it depends on the sport itself. You know, in one of the most violent sports in hockey, seemingly whenever a player leaves and then returns to his former city, it's very welcoming and, and in some ways almost overly generous <laughs> as, their, as to their appreciation for the franchise. And that's, you know, that's a hockey thing. But most of my experience has been in the NBA. And and the NBA can be petty in a lot of markets, for sure. And probably it's the, the sport where we see the most movement of significance, smaller rosters, higher impact players. So, listen, you know, probably in recent memory here, uh, Kyrie Irving's return to Boston is something that I witnessed firsthand. And uh, the uh, Celtics crowd was not afraid to let him have it, but yet all the players on the floor that he used to play with, you know, it was like old home week. Yeah. Um, and then certainly in New Orleans, I had several unfortunate experiences with this, probably most recently Anthony Davis. And mm. the way that Davis held that franchise hostage and uh, forced his exit, uh, I would say that the welcome, quote unquote, that he got back in his return to New Orleans with the Los Angeles Lakers was deserved in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, But yet earlier in my career in New Orleans, after Chris Paul left and Paul was in a much more understandable situation as to why he was ready to leave the New Orleans franchise. It was a little disarming knowing how much Chris had done for the city of New Orleans off the floor and certainly on the floor too, to where, when the reaction would be mixed and there would be people, people who would cheer Chris Paul, but then certainly he would get a lot of booze too. It, it just struck me as you're just not getting it here or you're not realizing what that guy really meant to this city in a lot of ways, um, you know, post Katrina. So 
Um, I've seen it kind of all over the map, but those are at least my firsthand experiences with it. As long as he's talking pros, I'll chime in. Um, covering the NFL like I did, I mean, one of the returns, if you all can recall this, I, John Gruden was traded from the Raiders to the Bucks. That's right. And then ends, ends up playing the Raiders in the Super Bowl, okay, and just destroyed them the following year. And that one, he, he returned to California to do it because the Super Bowl was in San Diego. But I'm going to flip this around and say the guy who Gruden replaced was Tony Dungy. The year after the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I was covering a Monday night game. It was the fourth game of the season, and Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy come in to Raymond James Stadium. Bucks are the defending Super Bowl champions. Tony Dungy, in essence, built the Bucks from laughing stocks. Adam, you're 12 years old. You don't remember how truly bad the Bucks were. Uh, Sean, I really I know, don't. I know, I know he remembers. I know Scott. The bad beyond belief Buccaneers is what everybody called them back then. But anyway, so Dungy brings Peyton Manning and the Colts into uh, Raymond James Stadium. There's five minutes left in the game, and the Bucks are winning 35-14. to 14. I'm writing on deadline Monday night. I'm feeling great about myself. And a couple things happen, and all of a sudden we're in overtime with, uh, in a 35-35 overtime game. It blew a, blew a three-touchdown lead in the last five minutes. And when Tony Dungy came in, they, at the beginning of the game, they were kind of, you know, they, they appreciated Dungy and everything, and they were still happy about their Super Bowl. By the time he left with a 38-35 meltdown Buccaneer loss, uh, after handing that to the Bucs, um, there were a lot of boos going on. And that was an awkward return, if you will. It was a triumphant one for Tony Dungy. And it was a hell of a story to have to write, in my case, in about five minutes, given the <laughs> newspaper deadlines back in the day. So that's my awkward story. We wrote a great follow the next day, I think, because uh, it had a lot, had, had a lot of material. But uh, that was a bitter, bitter loss. And really, uh, uh, that's one the, the, the Bucks had a hard time recovering from because I think they only made the playoffs twice out of that in Gruden's uh, – uh, uh, I think he was there – he was there nine, nine – seven seasons. They only made the playoffs two more times after that, and they didn't make it that year. Scott, you got you probably got a raise one, don't you? You know, let's see here. I've got a couple, but, you know, raise or lightning. I, I can attest to what Sean's saying because I do recall being around hockey somewhere guys coming back to play the lightning or something. They always came over to the, the dressing room and guys hugging them and stuff. But a specific instance, I mean, I've got to turn my – I'm going to turn back to my fandom here because it's one that I, I always will remember. It's probably my, the one I look forward to the most when Shaq came back with the Lakers to Orlando for the first time after he left. And, I mean, I was as big of a Shaq fan, Orlando Magic fan back then as you can imagine. I still remember this is a funny side story. They come back, and I mean, I didn't, I wasn't at the game. I was at the Winter Park Arts Festival, which is right near downtown Orlando. And I'm helping a buddy there. Uh, he was selling like you know concessions that day. So the Magic, I'm keeping an eye on the game, the Magic and the uh, Lakers. Well, the, the Lakers uh, came back. You know, big story, obviously. Magic beat him. Uh, I think Nick Anderson had a good game. I just knew it was a close game, and the Magic won. So I'm in the, that day. I'm you know at the art show. The game was an early afternoon game, and so I'm sitting there closed up, and here comes John Gabriel, who was the Magic GM at the time. And I mean, I didn't know John Gabriel, so I went over and said so to him about it. And I remember uh, he was a very happy man that night. 
you know, he because he's very like low key the whole time coming up to that game with the media. And again, this was just the guy approached him, say, "Hey, that's a good game." That you could tell him and his wife were very happy. So I'm guessing they had a a nice night. But I, I you know, that was one that always stuck out for me, the biggest one. I, and I also was in Atlanta at the Braves game the day Dion came back in the summer of '94 when they they traded him a couple weeks earlier for Roberto Kelly. You guys have to go way back if you're going to remember that. And I was at that game when Dion comes back. It was a Friday night, 50,000 people there. And, boy, that was an interesting reaction that he got. But those are a couple that stick out. Now, isn't it interesting that we all had pro sports examples? And the root of this conversation was, you know, obviously Russell Wilson in that, you know, other than like Nick Saban returning to LSU, and that doesn't even hardly count because he left for the NFL first. But we didn't have any college examples. But now with the transfer portal, we may actually start to have some of this, including Diabate, who came back to Florida in week one, playing for the yep. Utah Utes. So maybe if we revisit this in a year or two, um, we might have more college examples of this than all the pro ones we just reeled off. Well, the Gators are going to play against Keontae Johnson next year. That won't be a return game, for example, but that will certainly be a an emotional, uh, I don't know how awkward it'll be or what, but it'll be in Manhattan, Kansas. And I, I certainly could have, I ref, I was going to reference this. I don't know how Gator fans would have liked it. How about uh, 2003 when the Gators played against Brock Berlin? Does anybody remember that? Chris, it's so crazy. I was literally about to bring that up. This is the second straight week. Last week, it was Babe Zaharis. And this week, it's Brock Bruin. You're, you're reading my mind. You're looking into my soul. It's crazy. But that, that game was in Miami, so it wasn't a return. But there was the one guy, Steve Spurrier, ran him off. And Ron Zook went down to Miami. And the Gators are up by 23 points in the second half. And Brock Berlin bought him back and beat him 38-33. And that was a bitter, bitter loss for Gator fans. I can tell you that right now. Because it was it was right when they were going back to play Miami again after mm-hmm. all those years of not playing them. So that was thanks for reminding me, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Funny it's, thing is, I was at that game. Were you really? Were you <laughs> really? A, yes. That was probably the, the most memorable loss I've ever attended the Gators. You're right. That was a bad one. Rex Grossman was the pick over Brock Berlin. Brock Berlin chants to Miami, sits out, and has the game of his career against the Gator. I think he threw for like 340 yards or something like that, three touchdowns in the second half. But Spurrier was gone by then. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you talk about blowing big leads. That speaks to me as a Falcons fan. Uh, Falcons did it again this weekend against the Saints. (laughs) Just uh, I, I leave you guys with this remarkable Statistic. I know you guys love great stats. Okay, listen to this statistic from the Falcons and the game that they managed to blow. In the last three seasons, NFL teams leading by at least 15 points in the fourth quarter, the Falcons have a 5-3 and three record in those games. The rest of the NFL, 245 wins, two losses, and one tie. Oh my God. That is... <laughs> astonishing and I and Sean for those this is this is an audio platform but Sean is in the background doing a little hip hip parade on behalf of uh, of the Saints so he can he can have this one 
you can have this one. Um, but good stuff today, guys. Lots of great reminiscing. That's why whenever we turn the clock back, I know you guys will bring it. So thank you for that. Thank you for the perspective on where the Gators are going into USF. And we encourage everybody to check your stuff out online, floridagators.com for Scott and Chris. And of course, on the airwaves for Sean. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Adam. Take care. Thank you. See you, Adam. When Billy Napier began filling up his cabinet late last year, some thought there was a typo when they read there were two offensive line coaches on staff. But it was no mistake, as Napier puts so much stock in the big guys up front that he has two assistant coaches dedicated to that group. But it takes leadership on the field to ultimately get the job done. And that's where Richard Garage plays a key role as one of the upperclassmen and anchors. We spoke to the Tampa native about his path to becoming a Gator, which was long ago preceded by his mom's immigrant journey. My mom's originally from um, Haiti. Um, we came here when we was little. Uh, I have a, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister, and I'm Lotus. So coming from Haiti, how old were you when that happened? How much did that uh, kind of impact I mean, you growing up? I, I was born here, but she came here when she was... Okay. Um, I'm pregnant and then um, I was born here. So that transition was kind of new for her and trying yeah. to develop the, the this this new culture. Yeah. What impact do you feel like, like that had on you having, you know, her coming over and starting that new life here and you kind of being a part of that as soon as she got here? Uh it was it was a great opportunity for my mom wanted the best for for her kids and everything to um to start a new life and hopefully have a better opportunity than she had back in her country. Still to this day, I still still cherish every moment that we spent reminiscing those, on those times, and I'm just grateful to be here. How often have you been to Haiti and kind of you know, spent time with, with family and kind of learning about those roots? Is that something you have a chance to do often? Uh, I haven't. Last time I went was probably when I was like eight years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so ever since the ever since hurricane, yeah. ever since the hurricane hit, uh, I haven't ever had the opportunity to go back to see my roots and uh, and see my people, see my family, and, and everything. So I, I know that uh, I don't think football is big in Haiti. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm curious that it probably wasn't a part of your mom's culture. Uh, how did you first start playing football? Uh, so I first started football when I was five years old. My mom just signed me up because she just wanted me to 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 stay busy and get out of trouble. Really, <laughs> right? Um, so I mean, at first I didn't like it, and um, then naturally it just grew up on me, and then I just got bigger than a lot of kids, and I just finally bought in, and was like, this is probably a great opportunity to, yeah, to help my mom one day to to change our lives, and um, yeah, so I just took football very serious, and I'm here today. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you realize it was something that could potentially impact your future, your family's future? Was there was there a moment? Was there an age when you started playing and you got to a level you said, oh, well, this is I think I could I can make something out of this. When did that click for you? Uh, when I received my first scholarship, I know that was that was that was probably a huge opportunity that my mom didn't, wouldn't have to. Um, she wouldn't have she wouldn't have to worry about paying. Right. Out of her pocket to to send me to school that I can get a free education and be um and come out of school with a degree and debt free. So that was a big goal of hers to send me to college and 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 get and get my degree. And then both of those things um 
has happened. So, yeah, what do you remember about when recruiting started in terms of the interest you were getting? And was it, you know, I, I saw, I know you got a lot of offers from a lot of different places. Was it pretty quickly you realized you, you had a lot of opportunity or was that still sort of a surprise when all these offers started coming in? Uh, it was still a surprise. It was like a kid in a candy store. Like you just <laughs> see all these different options and stuff. And um, I just getting a lot of attention from different schools. So. I was very um, excited to to see the opportunity that I had the the option to pick the schools that I really wanted to go to. So when you were looking around and checking out all the offers, what made Florida stand out? I mean, besides being from Florida, what was it about the Gators that made you say, this is where I want to be? Uh, just the legacy itself with the legacy it holds, the the academics. Um, we're basically the top five program in the country. And it's it's basically an hour and a half drive. My mom can come see me every game and, and come support my game. So I, it was just a win-win situation for me. So it was it was quite easy for me to to, to make. I know that being on the line is a, it's kind of like a, a brotherhood. You have to be a very tight knit group. So I'm sure that that those relationships start forming really early on. When you mm-hmm. came into the program, who was it that really took you under their wing and brought you into that brotherhood? Uh, it was two guys I could definitely speak on. Well, three guys, really. It was Fred Johnson, Martez Ivy, and uh, Wani Taylor. Those are the guys I consider like the the big role model that I wanted to follow and take every type of coaching from them and put in my game, really. Mm-hmm. yeah. What, what were the most important things you took away from them? Even today, when you look at your game, how much of what you do now can you think of, oh, well, this particular part of my game I learned from Martez, or this came from Fred. How much do you think that shapes who you are now on the field? I just remember that um, I remember one practice. I mean, I, I still tell them, like, to this day. Like, uh, I remember Wani Taylor. I used to, like, just ask Wani Taylor just to stay after practice. He, I mean, he was an older guy. He had a long day of practice. He could have just told me no. Like, uh, like I, we can just do it tomorrow. But he took the time out of his day to, like, cherish uh take me under his wing and then coach me how 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 my technique should be and um just give me just give me some life lessons as well of like don't take this for granted and just overall just giving me giving me great great gems really about life football and everything so i consider him like that the big brother that i needed coming coming to the school and and this that was the guy that i really look up to to flip that around, who do you feel like you've paid it forward to the most? Which younger guys do you think you've had the biggest impact on and why? Uh, I can probably say probably Austin Barber. I see so much potential in him and um, I just try to um, always try to be encouraging, but at the same time, be realistic. Cause that's what we need. And that's what we need in today's society that we just need guys. That's, that's always um, real, but at the same time, encouraging. And I, I consider, I try to take Austin Barber under my wing and, and try to give him as much, as much um, game situations, anything, anything in life um, to him. And hopefully he can take that in and, and use it as best as way as he can. Hmm. So 
Coach Napier puts a huge emphasis in the offensive line. That's pretty obvious from the fact there's basically two coaches dedicated to the line. Um, what's it been like since, since Coach Sale came in, since Coach Stapleton? What have they done and, and worked on with you and your teammates to really transform that offensive line? Uh, so our motto is five equals one. So as long as five guys are doing everything, and um, everybody's right. If four guys doing some doing something right, one guy's doing wrong, then we're all wrong. So we always try to be a unit. Communi- like Coach said, communication, um, repetition is always key to be successful in this league. Um, and just the, this. And another one is uh, trust, trusting each other that that we will do our assignments in full detail and everything. I guess a third and unofficial coach, as you've said, is Coach Osiris, uh, Osiris mm-hmm. Torrance, who's come in and obviously a, a lot of experience, a lot of accolades from what he did at Louisiana. What impact has he had on the line, his presence, his play, all of that? Uh, he's a great asset for the team. I'm glad uh, there's another veteran guy on the offensive line that makes our job a lot easier. That um, He can definitely pour what he sees to, to the younger guys and to the older guys and what he do like before the game or after the game or just just little just little life lessons as well just trying to pour to to each of the players i know the offensive line is something that most fans don't really understand in terms of the you know the, the schematics behind it just seems kind of simple but i'm sure there's a lot that changes when you go from one coaching staff to another um so what have been the biggest challenges in terms of transitioning scheme what you guys do some of the fundamentals how has that changed from from one coaching staff to this coaching staff so everybody has to everybody don't like change but everybody always you just have to adapt to it um so having a new coach, um, we just we just knew from the from the start that he was he was a he was a great coach and he knew what he was talking about. So we just everybody just bought in and it just made his job a lot easier. You know, as an offensive lineman, I guess you don't get a lot of chances to to make big plays or get noticed in the way that you know that receivers do, that quarterbacks do. What is it that that gives you satisfaction when you're on the field? What are things you can point to where you're like, that was that's something I did, and and that's I take pride in that. Uh, probably protecting a quarterback. That's probably that's probably the one big thing. Um, making sure that the quarterback. Uh, making his reads proper and then uh, protecting the quarterback. That's very key. And then um, shoot, just finishing blocks, really, and then helping the running back up. A little stuff like that, that that other people don't see, helping the running backs, helping the quarterbacks, helping the wide right receivers. And, um, yeah, those are little things I take pride in, for sure. A couple final questions for you. One thing I know a lot of fans have noticed uh, when they're watching the team is is Desmond Watson. Uh, he's a he's a huge guy. I'm curious how often do you go up against him in practice, and and what is that like? Uh, Desmond Watson, he gives great looks. Um, he's yeah, he's definitely a big guy. <laughs> uh, he has a high he has a high motor. Um, and he's a he's a great kid. Um, he just comes in every day, works hard, keep his head down, and just stay coaching and um, he's just a great he's I'm glad he's on our team for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what do you enjoy doing away from the field when you have some time that's not football related how do you like to spend that uh usually I like going to like nature walks I love I love seeing new things new landscapes and other than that I just like to relax and um, just watch TV but normally I just I, I love being outside and seeing new things and going like nature walks like I said earlier and uh yeah, that's it, really. 
Have you uh, have you done the Lachua Trail with all of the alligators hanging out there? Uh, I haven't yet, but I might have to. Look, I might have to look into that. That that is a must. Yeah, you're just walking along, and there's just tons of alligators a few feet away from you. And I think I think they might look at me as a little snack or something. I don't know <laughs> if I can do something like that. <laughs> They might, yeah, you, you might you might spook them a little bit. You're right. That's actually you might want to might want to think twice about that one. Um, yeah, man, that's a so, five course meal right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of on the field, uh, you know, obviously Kentucky was it was not what you guys were looking for. It was disappointing follow up to the opener. What, what do you take away from that? When you guys are watching film, what are you going to take from that that you can use as you move forward? It's just a, it's just a learning lesson. Every every player always has something to work on, um, and we just have to keep getting better. Um, so this week is a new week, new fresh start to to game plan against a new team, and this is a new opportunity that the guys can come out and execute their execute our game plan. And yeah, so this is just a new week, and this is a new opportunity for us to to come out strong. Mm. Final question for you. USF is not a traditional rival, so to speak, but they are an in-state school and they're from your hometown. Do you mm-hmm. get any extra juice when you're playing a team that I'm, I'm sure has a lot of guys on it that, that you probably know from back in the day? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's always who's a, who's a team of Florida, really. And mm-hmm. um, this is going to be a great game. Uh, this is a great opportunity for the, for all of us to, to really go, come out and um, and execute our game plan. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. Good luck. We hope it's a good one against USF this weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your time. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.